Another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz talking the world of Hawkeye athletics with you. It felt like it was going to be uh, another game on the docket for the football team. Alas, that was taken away as Michigan can't answer the COVID bell, though there is plenty to basketball to get into, and we'll do that here today. Biz, what's going on in your world? Not much. Been continuing to be a really good stretch of uh, Iowa athletics, man, the football team with a rare badger butt kicking. And, you know, like you said, for, for 40 hours, we thought we were going to play Michigan, but I'll be honest, Trent, I really despise that we were being forced to play Michigan anyway. So uh, I'm not real heartbroken, I guess, that, that 40 hours later, the game was taken away from us. So obviously I'd like, I'd like to see us play again. There, uh, you know, <laughs> any football is better than no football, but, uh, I can't sit here and pretend that I'm I'm too fired up about the fact that we lost a game that was you know, only scheduled forty dollars before that anyway. You know that's a piece that I know there was plenty of people frustrated that it wasn't going to be Indiana. I just didn't see it that way. And I know yes, if they would have played Indiana, and Indiana was available, they would have had a better chance of maybe getting in the back door to a New Year's Six game. But for all intents and purposes. Playing Coastal Carolina in the Peach Bowl, what's that do? Taking on a middling Georgia team, I don't know. It's a bowl game's a bowl game to me, and I don't, I don't think this season was going to be that different one way or the other. Even if they beat Indiana and get a chance at one of those games, maybe I'm just looking at it wrong though. What What was your takeaway on that? Well, initially I was kind of ticked off for that reason. I, I my frustration, you know, Trent, I. I blame everything on Gary Barta. And this is another thing that I could blame on Gary Barta. So that's why I got mad. Cause I just, I just am a strong believer that if this was Wisconsin or Ohio state or Michigan, there's no way Barry Alvarez, if his team had a chance to be a new year's six bowl game, that they would have gotten stuck playing the sixth best team in the other side. I mean, I know, I know it's Michigan. It sounds good, but that's, the fact of the matter is they were sixth place in their division. It's absurd that we were being forced to play them. And my frustration is I just don't think Gary Barta sometimes fights for, for what he needs to fight for. And I don't know. Again, over time, my frustration with that has calmed down. Um, but initially, I was frustrated that we didn't get Indiana because I just feel like sometimes, you know, teams like Iowa and Indiana get the shaft a little bit when if it was a, you know, Ohio State or a Penn State in that situation, you can you can bet that the Big Ten would go out of the way to make sure they would be getting to a uh, a New Year's Six bowl. So, but like I said, over time I've calmed down. L- listening to Ferentz talk about it, mm-hmm. I was really impressed. I mean, he just really, I mean, the way he handled that press conference, I, I was really another reason to be impressed with Kirk Ferentz. He just, you know, he, I think he had set the right tone. Talked about how we're fortunate to be able to play, and you know, but you know, he's not going to sit there and lose sleep over. Over missing that game, and, and maybe I shouldn't do this. Yes. You know, another thing, and there was all kinds of rampant speculation about Iowa trying to find a non-conference game or another conference game to play in that spot, and Kirk shot that down very quickly and I think explained it 
very well, why it just was not a realistic possibility. Yeah, it's one thing for BYU and Coastal Carolina to come together. It's another for Iowa, and they'd also have to get the approval of the Big Ten, and that wasn't coming. It just it was not happening, but Kirk shutting that down in that manner was good. A guy that we certainly respect, Biz, but we had our questions again. After the 0-2 start, what happened in that second game against Northwestern, a game plan that didn't make a lick of sense, and here they are, winners of six in a row. Argue the merits of the teams that you want all you want, but six straight in the Big Ten, that is an impressive feat. Didn't think it was going to happen, Biz, and another tip of the ball cap to Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, and let's talk about that sixth win, Trent, because any time you beat Wisconsin in the last two decades by, by three touchdowns, that is a really, really good win. I, I don't care if uh, Wisconsin might be down this year. I don't care if the year is weird with COVID. You know, any situation, since Barry Alvarez got there, if you beat Wisconsin by three touchdowns, that is a damn good win. It is. Uh, they have offensive limitations. They're still, you look at the numbers, that was an elite team defensively, and Iowa still was able to put 28 on the board. And and the quarterback play, two weeks ago, Biz, I thought it was over. That there, at the very least, was going to be a real open competition for the quarterback job. I'm certainly not as steadfast in that belief. If if we get through the spring, not only is it a leg up for Spencer Petras, I think it's pretty significant now. Yeah, I think the last the way he finished the Illinois game and the way he finished the Wisconsin game, certainly I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt going forward. I mean, and you know, I still think it'll be listed as an open competition, but but I think he's really going to have to uh, take a step back to not have the job come next September. He just, you know, he's done some good things these last couple of weeks. And I think he, I think he has the trust of his teammates. I, I think they really like him. He seems like he, uh, you know, has a good rapport with everybody. And, and, you know, everything you hear him say, you know, those deep balls that are hitting like crazy in practice is just a matter of time. And fortunately, you know, it took seven and a half games, but we finally hit a couple. Finally. And they were things of beauty. And, the development is there. There's the rough moments, but those rough moments were able to be ironed out the last couple of weeks, and and here we are. So you said a little bit of info here of the butt kicking of the Badgers. It feels good. This has been the thorn in Iowa side over the last half decade. This has been the hump that they haven't been able to get past as they dominate the series against Minnesota and Nebraska and Iowa State and Illinois. The border rivals, they've dominated except for this one. So what do you have for us this week? Well, I gave Stat Boy a couple of different random assignments this week, a football one and a basketball one. And the football one, two things, Trent. Just one, how rare is it for us to uh, beat Wisconsin by three touchdowns or more? And second, you know, how long had it been since we had shut down their running game? And, you know, let, let's start with the, the three touchdowns or more. Do you remember the last time we beat the Badgers by uh, 20 or more points? Last time beat them by 20 or more points. Was it the 2004? We didn't beat them by 20 that day, did we? We did, but that's not the last one. 2004, the Big Ten, we, Big Ten championship game at Kinnick. Um, we, we won 30-7 to seven in the end. So, yes, okay. we did. But there's been one more since then. It's another game. Fairly memorable game. I think you'll think of it if you give yourself another 10 seconds. So. Barry's last game, that was, was that 20 to 10? Yep. So it was not that one. Of course, 2015, that was 10 6. 
2009. Did we put it to him in 2009? I'll say 2009. I'm probably dead wrong. One year off. 2008, the Sean Green game. Uh-huh. 30, yeah, yeah. 38-16, Green had three touchdowns of 20 yards or more. Um, it was kind of the, uh, in some ways, the turning point of that season. That season had been a little bit of a frustrating season up to that point, You know, kind of similar to how this was mm-hmm. for a while. And then after that game, that team really, you know, shifted gears and played really good football the rest of the way. So it had been 12 years since we beat them that bad and you know, five years since we beat them at all. So um, so that's the one thing. What about shutting down the running game, Trent? We held them to 56 yards. How, how long back do you have to go to hold the Badgers to a 56 or less? Oh, are we talking Don Morton in the veer? Are we going back to the 80s? I, that's what I thought. But actually we have back-to-back years – where we completely shut down their running game. The 2004 game you mentioned, the, the last game of the year where we won the Big Ten Championship, they ran 30 times for 41 yards. And then the next year at Camp Randall, we, the 20-10 to 10 game you're talking about, 31 carries for 19 yards. So uh, two years in a row, we completely shut them down. But since then, uh, we had never held them under 100 in 15 years until last week. So, uh it's not uh, it's not rocket science to how you beat the Badgers. You slow down their running game and uh, you put up a few points, which which we were able to do. It took a while, but uh, we put a few points late, late in the game. And you can hold down their running game; you're going to be successful against Wisconsin uh, most years. Yes, that is very very true. And Graham Mertz, boy, the uh, shines off him just a little bit after what we saw against Illinois in that first game of the season. To where they are there, heard from. Few Badger fans, none too pleased with the freshman quarterback, and I think it's a little too early to throw the baby out with the bathwater there. But ultimately, they still be, have to be able to run the football. And that was a problem going back to the beginning of the year. They're going to be at their highest level. They need to be able to do that, and that has not been the case for Wisconsin this year. Anything else from Stat Boy on the football side of things? I know he got some basketball a little later. Yeah, let's, let's shift the basketball. I mean, football. You know, there's no game this week. I don't think we need to spend too much time breaking down football when we've got, you know, the biggest the biggest in-season matchup that Iowa's had in probably at least 20, 30 years. I mean, All right. You don't get many number one versus number three matchups in Iowa history. So uh, let's, let's talk basketball. But before we get into that, we got to talk, let's talk about uh, how good this team's looked before we start looking ahead yeah. to Gonzaga. This, are, you still, are, you, are you still thinking 17 and 10 for the team? Thing? It's still not that big of a stretch. It is. The Big Ten's really good, Biz. The Big Ten is really good. Is it though? I mean, the top three or four teams are really good. Uh huh. Did you watch Purdue yeah. last night? Purdue has been terrible before last night. They lost two games to two mediocre teams, and I thought Ohio State was atrocious last night. They did. So you're, you're calling sweeps in both those series. No, I mean, we'd always struggle at Purdue. I mean, any time you can go to Purdue and win is a good thing, but obviously this is a weird year. I just, yes, the Big Ten, I'm not going to figure out the Big Ten's not good, because it obviously is. But is it as, you know, if we're going to be the team we hope we're going to be, other than Illinois, Michigan State, and Wisconsin, we should be beating their teams consistently. I mean, not saying we're gonna, we'll have a slip up in there. We always yeah. do, but Michigan hasn't looked that great. Rutgers is good, but but certainly not great. 
And then you got the bottom half. I mean, I think there's four or five teams that are shaky at best. I mean, Northwestern, Nebraska, even Maryland. Some of those teams just don't look very good, Trent. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying there's maybe any guineas. These aren't maybe 106 to 53 scores anymore, but uh, – I guess it goes back to what I said at the start. I, I'm all in on this team. I just think this team is they're mature, they're focused, they're locked in. I just don't see them stubbing their toe consistently against middle of the road and below teams in the Big Ten this year. Will it happen once or twice? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's a long season. You're going to have some, some, some slip-ups. But I just don't see them stubbing their toe enough with where we're, we're talking about even close to 10 losses this year. Yeah. Five, and- six. Five, six, seven, somewhere in there. Yeah, probably. Well, and uh, that's you know, I, I, well, we're getting hope, more into that hope, seven ranges right where I was. Well, <laughs> I mean, the seven ranges more where I was. I, I what did I say, eighteen and nine, seventeen and ten, and I said the heights of being twenty-three and four, being twenty-two and five. That's I wasn't sure, and it's certainly more of a realistic possibility now. We're we're going to find out more against Gonzaga. That goes without saying. This Gonzaga team, though, hasn't played in over two weeks. They have just started practicing earlier this week. So if Iowa comes out and plays well, they'll win this game, which before their shutdown, I didn't think was the case. I didn't think Iowa was going to even have that kind of chance. I thought there was a pretty significant gap between Gonzaga and Iowa, and I don't believe that anymore. But when you get into going 16-4 and in the conference and winning a regular season crown, you're right. And it's not just about not having a crap game against a Nebraska or Northwestern or a team like that, but that means beating Purdue on the road. That means going to Ohio State and beating them in those spots and doing that consistently throughout the year. I'm ready, though, to see it happen. I hope that it happens, and this team offensively, because they're so good. You mentioned that run last Friday night against Iowa State from Garza here in our notes. What did you say? Best six minutes ever from a Hawkeye basketball player. Be hard to argue. Well, I'm, I'm here to make the argument. It's not, Trent. I, I think I was the one that initially said it was, but uh, I, I had a had a brain fart, Trent. Because uh, you ready to go in the time machine to the greatest uh, the greatest stretch of Iowa basketball history? All right. Yeah. Uh, is is this a, a game against Indiana? Are we thinking here? It is, Trent. Do you remember the game I'm talking? Is Justin Johnson? Was that the guy's name? Absolutely, Trent. Right? <laughs> Let's take the time machine back to a, a wonderful time, Trent. It's called, it's called the Licklider era. It's it's a time that most Iowa fans would like to forget, and, and justifiably so. But for two minutes, it, it, it uh, created the greatest uh, two-minute run in Iowa basketball history. So you're ready to hop in the time machine. Stat Boy uh, got me the info and sent me the video as well. So you ready to hop in? Yeah, yeah. All right, Trent, so you got to go back to January 3rd, 2008. So almost 13 years ago, shockingly, a Licklider-led team was, was down by 13 with, uh, with two minutes to go, and that's when uh, Justin Johnson decided to uh, just have an out-of-body experience, basically. Six three-pointers in the last two minutes of that game, including five in the last 61 seconds. Uh, hopefully, Stat Boy will will post the link to the, uh, the YouTube link to the video because it's pretty amazing to watch. Because these are not only did he make six threes, but he made six 
contested three. These were not mm-hmm. easy shots. Uh, one was a four-point play where he got fouled. Another was a legit 30-footer. The last one was an absurd 40-footer that he banked in. Um, you know, it was uh, it's pretty incredible to watch. So, although Luca Garza may have had the, the best six-minute stretch, he clearly did not have the best two-minute stretch, and, and it may never get beat. Nineteen points, six for six on threes, and a two-minute stretch. So, clearly the highlight of, of the Todd Licklider era, and in appropriate fashion, they still lost the game, but. Uh, 79-76, he almost brought them back single-handedly. It was 70-57 to when it started. He scored the last 19 points, but it still wasn't enough. Looking at that team, oh boy. Oh, you, are you ready to look at that team? That's my next question for you, Trent. Yeah, yeah. So that team had seven players that played 10 minutes or more that night. One of them was obviously Justin Johnson. Uh-huh. Can you name? Can you name? I would say four of the other six. All right. What year of this of the look lighter era is it? Uh, two years before he, before we finally shut it down. So year, year two. Was year three total? I think it was the second out of three years. Second three. So you got Tony Freeman. Yep, that's one. Tony shot three for fourteen that night. He wasn't exactly wasn't exactly on. <laughs> I don't think anybody was on. Cyrus Tate. Yep. Uh, is Jr. still around? Yep, you got Jr. Uh, you got two two big guys and, and a guard that was actually pretty decent before he transferred out. Transferred out. Um, the two big guys were not decent. <laughs> David Palmer, the Seton Hall guy. No, oh, that's a good guess. The, the big guys, I'll give them to you. I think you can get the guard, but the big guys. Seth Gorney and Kurt <laughs> Luby. <laughs> oh, man. The guard, are... I believe he transferred to Arkansas, Trent. Arkansas. Arkansas Alley? Uh, Jeff Peterson. Oh, Florida State, wasn't it? Was it Florida State? Maybe he came from Arkansas. He was at Arkansas at some point. Okay. I think he came from Arkansas to us and then left again. So the best player on that team was actually Jake Kelly, but he got hurt oh, yeah. early in that game and only played five minutes. So, uh, but wow, that, that is your full squad. Uh, honest question for you, Trent. Those players that we just listed, those yeah. seven players, would any of them play 10 minutes in the game for this, this team right now? <sighs> no. Would no. they even, even play two minutes? No. No, they would not. No, none of those guys that you mentioned would be part of the, certainly the rotation, and I wouldn't put them over any of the freshmen right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe Tony Freeman, you could say, could play the role of uh, what Ulyss does when he comes right. in and plays a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Jake yeah. Kelly, maybe <coughs> yeah. on the wing yeah. for seven, eight minutes a game. He's kind of the role of, but not as good at it as what we're seeing right now with Murray, with Keegan. Uh, so that I mean, so that was like I said, about, about as low as it gets for basketball at that point. But for two minutes, Trent, we, we saw greatness in action. So. Luby and Gorney, boy, what what a combo Lick had. Well, thank God Lick is not around anymore, and he cannot taint the program. I saw him come across my Twitter feed. He was doing an interview with Andy Katz, and I about puked. But we'll move on from that garbage and get back into basketball. It's number one Gonzaga, number three Iowa. And I believe you have more Stat Boy information for us. Yeah, round three for Stat Boy. He's uh, 
late in the year, Chinese He's got earn his pay by the end of the year. So third third area for him to dig into, the history of, of Iowa versus number one AP team. So and we, we've got some controversy to start this one off. The Iowa media guide says that Iowa is 3-21 and 21 all time against AP number one. Okay. That boy dug into it, and he could only find uh, – he thinks that the correct number is three and nineteen. So he may be uh, he may be writing into the so him and, guy to get a, him and to White's going to get in a fight or something. Yeah, this might be a uh, this might be the, the moment when Fat Boy gets his foot in the door. It could be the new, uh, the Phil new Hattie. For, for yep, he could be. This is this is where he takes over for. Uh, he, he's already he's already done the red hat dude. He's yep. already got the pins there. He could become the new. Uh, Statman for Iowa eventually. Well, let's be honest. No, no joking. How incredible would Stat Boy be at that job? Shits would be unbelievable. Just being able to sit around all day, come up with stupid factoids and numbers and facts. He would be incredible at that job. Yeah, the number of tweets that would go out oh. on that account would be un- unhealthy. It would be like one every eight minutes. Just, just like a, like a machine, just spitting things out all day long. So, but I, I'm 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 in for it. If he needs. If he needs references, Trent, yes. you and I are. And obviously our references would, would mean a lot. Yeah, worth their weight in gold over there. You, you know how I'm well, how well respected I am over at the University of Iowa Athletic Department. So yeah, that'd go well. Yeah, maybe just leave me off there. Biz, you got some pull, though. Uh, yeah, well, I've got as much pull as, uh, as any other random, random 44-year-old guy who, who just has season tickets and, and does – and donates very minimal amounts to the university. So I think money talks, and I don't give him a lot of money, Trent. So. We got three wins. I, I, think, I think he's got to find somewhere else, someone else to be his references. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. All right, so we got three wins here. As against number one teams, is that what it is? Three victories versus number one. What is you should, a- be able, you should be able to get the last two. The first one, I'll just give you the first one because you're never going to get it. Okay. Way back in 1965, we beat the number one UCLA Bruins, um, 87-82. We were led by a JUCO transfer named Chris Perval, P-E-R-V-A-L-L. I have never in my life heard of that name, but he scored 28 points against number one team. And uh, it kind of set the trend of, of kind of a – Lesser-known players having great games against number one. So he had 28. Our captain, Jimmy Rogers, Matt Rogers' dad, scored uh, 16 points. So uh, he was in there as well. So that's win number one. Win number two and three, I think you can get, Trent. All right. Um, number well, – they beat Michigan State with uh, Lick. Were they ranked number one? They were. That is the third one. Just okay. five years ago, right before the Rose Bowl. We beat Michigan State. Again, uh, Mike Gassell goes off for wow. 25 in that game. So that's the third one. What's the one in between, Trent? One in between. Uh, number one, UConn goes down, and we sprinted from 520 South Capitol Street to one-eyed Jakes. Yep, it was the Alford debut, Trent. You got Boy, there before was, I did. I was slow. That was uh, that was the moment when we, we thought this oh, was man. – Steve Alford could do no wrong, and uh-huh. we were going to be uh, Final Four bound. Uh, how sadly we were. We were only off by, by 20 years. So. Not bad. But the question for that game, who led the team with 20 points? 
Oh, that's got to be uh, the Juco guy, not Joe Firmino, the other one. Um, yep. Oh, shot all the time. What was his name? Everyone's yelling right now at their at their screen as they're listening to me not be able to come up with. Jake, Jake. Jake, Jake. Oh, I was thinking of uh, a different Juco guy. Who was the guy that shot all the time, the outside shooter? Uh, Rob, uh, Rob Griffin? Griffin. Yeah, I don't think he was on that team. Oh, okay. He was, He'd been kicked yeah. off by he, this point. I think he was on. No, I think he was on the next year. Uh-huh. I think he was year two. But yeah, th- th- these were all uh, these were all the Tom Davis leftovers. And so Jake Jake said twenty. So yeah, I think Rob Griffin was the two thousand year. But Jake Jake said twenty. Kyle Galloway had eleven. They were they were your stars to be the number one team in the uh, in the in the land at then. It's not too bad. Jake Jakes, I uh, see from time to time bouncing around here in central Iowa and uh, putting up uh, that game. We we thought we had it. Thought Iowa was going away. No more football school. It was going to be a basketball school. And what pretended on the football field in comparison to the basketball court over, what, the next decade or so. Very off on that one. That was a fun night, though. That was, that was definitely a fun one as Iowa beat number one UConn. So it's number one Gonzaga. They're good. They haven't practiced much. They haven't played in over two weeks here. They can score. This is a big, important game for them, too. And it's going to be, for them, 9 a.m. Pacific time. I don't think that matters, obviously. But it's still it's just one of those goofy quirks here of this game being played in South Dakota. What do you see when you look across and you're, you're taking a look at the Zags? Yeah, I worry. They're the type of team that I think the – we're going to really struggle with just because, as you and I talk about a lot, we are not a great defensive team. Mm-hmm. And I think teams that are unselfish and share the basketball can get good looks against us. And they're a team that, to me, are about as unselfish as it gets. They really move the ball well. They don't care who scores. They don't rely on one guy. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to score a lot of points. But, you know, <laughs> We are as well. What do you think the over/under is going to be on this one? And it's got to be, it's got to be in the one sixties, doesn't it? Oh, at the very least, I wouldn't be shocked when it's released tomorrow to see it at that you know one sixty nine and a half, one seventy and a half range. It's that kind of game, and it's ridiculous in college basketball to have a number that high. But I think it's going to be that high, and if it doesn't, it's going to tilt that way very, very quickly. Suggs is such a difference maker for them, though. They've had nice teams. They've had good teams. They've had pros on Gonzaga in the past. They played for a national championship just a couple of years ago. But to have a facilitator like that, have a guy that is not just an ability to go off the bounce and beat you and get into the lane, but also a really good shooter from the outside, he can just do a myriad of different things. This break, I'm sure, helped him as he had that knee injury, which looked awful in the beginning of things. But they got all Americans all over the place. Their backup point guard, And this is not hyperbolic. He would be the starting point guard for 335 D1 programs right now, but he's at Gonzaga as a backup because they have Jalen Suggs. So it just it goes on and on. They have depth. They have pieces. They can score here. Can you get one of those sustained stops where you get three, four, five possessions, you make a mini run? If Iowa does that, they got a chance because they can score against anybody. But the weapons on the other side. This is as immense of a offensive matchup as you're going to find all year long. To me, one of the keys to this game is, is who can get their team in foul trouble. Because I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, if Garza picks up two early fouls, Fran has shown that he's 
still going to be stubborn with his wonderful two-foul rule, and, you know, it's a totally different game. On the flip side, if, if Garza can get Timmy in foul trouble early on and, you know, get into some, some backups there, you know, I think that's, that might be the key to the game, is, is which team can, uh, you know, get to the free throw line. And both teams, you know, both teams are going to score some points, but can you get uh, get some people in foul trouble and, and get some free points at the free throw line? That might be what it comes down to. And, and also, I mean, you got two teams that are this good, and, and this unselfish, I mean, who, who makes shots? I mean, we, we've shot the ball unbelievably well, but we've also not left Carver Hawkeye yet. And so this is our first time having to leave Carver Hawkeye. And, and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Trent, but I think all of Gonzaga's games have been on the road, haven't they? Uh, I, I think you're right, yeah, because I believe beforehand they had a bunch of games scheduled. Well, they've only played three. That's the other part. They played Kansas, Auburn, West Virginia, and all were neutral four games. So, It'll be yet another one for them before they welcome in Northwestern State. That'll be their home game on Monday. Uh, there's a blast from a pass, followed by something called Dixie State, who apparently is a D1 program. Gonzaga, Dixie State. I'll, we need to swing back and see what the uh, spread is on that trip. Uh, it's got to be touching towards that 40 number. It's going to be a big one, no doubt. Speaking of the point spread, I, uh, I know I mentioned to you and probably our listeners, there was a look-ahead line of this game. It was one and a half when DraftKings first released it. It moved to three and a half pretty quickly within a day or two, and then they took it off the board. They took it off the board. I, I want to say it was before they were shut down, but I just wonder if it was you know the amount of wagers that were out there, just something DraftKings did, because all the future basketball bets that they had, they had taken off the board. What do you think this number is going to be when it's released officially tomorrow across? Ken Palm has it at three. Do you think it's going to be bigger than that number? Gonzaga favored by three? I think it'll actually be a little lower than that. Yeah. I, I think for a couple reasons. First, just because Gonzaga hasn't practiced. Mm-hmm. And second, I think there's, because we've just absolutely destroyed teams and we've covered so easily the last couple of games. I, you know, I think people people are kind of on the Iowa train right now just because you've seen us more recently than you have Gonzaga. So I, I think the number will start a little lower. I think it'll start maybe back down that one and a half or two range and then might might move up a little bit. But I'll say I'll say two. Two. Two's what it's gonna be. I think it might be a tick higher, but but I think you bring up a really good point and uh on where that is and where people is and that's also the part. I mean, the the narrative here, it's going to be a quick turnaround. It's not like a football game where you get a week full of narratives going into it that really dictate what it's going to be in terms of and where the betting public's going to be. But I think that's a piece, an interesting component and a good one there. After that for the Hawks, then next week it's Purdue and Minnesota Tuesday, Friday. Yes, they'll be playing Christmas night against the Gophers up at Williams Arena. And a very important stretch here if – they're going to get to those heights that you're talking about. Beating Purdue, beating Minnesota on the road, those are the kind of games that you're going to have to get victories in. Yeah, those are two exactly what I was just talking about before. Uh, you know, Purdue's a decent team, but you can't lose them at home. I'm not sure Minnesota's even a decent team. They were undefeated before they played Illinois, but I've watched them play a couple times. They're, they're okay. They've got one really good player. The car is a really, really good player. But other than other than him, I'm not overly impressed with them. But you know, it's a game. I think that'll be a good. It'll be a good test to see how tough this team is. It'll be the first true road game 
on Christmas, uh, just a weird, weird environment all around. Third game in six days. You know, we'll see. But let, let's focus on the, the big one first. Uh, what's your prediction, Jay? My prediction, pain. Gonzaga 105, Hawkeyes 96. Well, I've, I've said all along I'm all in on the Hawks. <laughs> I'm staying all in. And I think it'll be slightly less points than that. But I, I just... I'll go, uh, let's say, Iowa 87, Gonzaga 84. After evaluating millions of pieces of data in the blink of an eye, the Gambletron 2000 says the winner is Cincinnati by 200 points. Bye, you worthless hunk of junk. Hunk of junk, that is my picks this year. How awful. I, I couldn't be worse if I tried this season in terms of betting. 0-3 last week. Six and fifteen against the number, Biz. You were able to uh, at least find a few positives here. What are we doing this week for Champions Week? We got anything? You got bets you actually like here? I got one bet and one bet only. Okay, and, all right. Uh, I'm I'm calling this my lock of the year, which which means people should run out and, and bet the opposite. But my lock of the year, save it for Championship Week. It's not a championship game, but. Uh, Two words for you, Trent. Lane train. This is uh, Ole Miss plays LSU this week. LSU put every ounce of energy they have into beating Florida last week. That was a pride game for them. For all intents and purposes, their season ended last week. uh, They can't be real excited and pumped up to come back and play again. This feels like a game where – where Old Miss is going to come out and just stomp the hell out of LSU, and everyone can talk and pretend that Lane, Lane Kiffin and Old Miss are going to be great next year because they just had a really good uh, signing day. Mm-hmm. They end with a really good win. People will be all fired up, and then you know, in true Lane Kiffin fashion, uh, they'll fall apart, uh, I assume, next year. But give me Old Miss. I think Old Miss was the underdog in this game. Last time I looked, they're now the favorite. But regardless of what it is, Trent, give me Old Miss and the uh, my lock of the year. Lock of the year laying the two. And, yeah, it's uh, around the parts down in Oxford. It's Flipmas as he's been flipping, I think, uh, about a dozen recruits over the last month, uh, just during the month of December. Becoming Ole Miss Rebels and signing on the dotted line. He is a character, no doubt. And I like that one. I think it'll be an entertaining game. How much you'll see, uh, that is to be. That'll be a, a mid-afternoon game. You got to read it all on Ohio State Northwestern. I, I, I hear a lot. Hey, two years ago, it was decently close. I I don't see this Northwestern team just being able to keep up. I know the Buckeyes have some issues defensively. Look, Alabama had issues early in their season defensively, and they turned it around here. I just can't see a way for the Wildcats to keep up. Well, and, and Ohio State's issues defensively are in pass coverage. I mean, they held Indiana to negative yards rushing. Mm-hmm. People kind of forget that. I just don't think Northwestern's game plan is a good – a good fit for uh, unless unless Peyton Ramsey ends up. Uh, I think he's going to have to throw for 300 plus in this game, and that just doesn't seem like something Northwestern's able to do. But uh, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past Fitz to make this a a ball game for at least two or three quarters. I think eventually, eventually Ohio State's talent and it wins out. But if I had to pick, which I, I, I think 21 is the right number on this, if I had to pick, I, I, I'd take Northwestern at, at minus 21. My favorite of the week, Iowa State getting the points. Oklahoma is better than one of these two teams played. Iowa State 
is also a lot better. Brock Purdy was not good in that game in the victory against Oklahoma. He's playing at a much higher level. Five and a half, I like that with Iowa State. In fact, Matt Campbell, 5-0 and oh against the number against Oklahoma in his Cyclone career. So there's my pick bound to go wrong. Give me the Cyclones. Biz? That, that, that line stinks, Trent. It, it does. It, it's giving me hope that Oklahoma is going to come out and just kick the crap out of them because there is no reason Oklahoma should be five-and-a-half-point favorites. No. Iowa State obviously already beat them. Iowa State, I, everybody talks about how Oklahoma's playing much better. Are they? In the last game, they, they struggled to beat Baylor. <laughs> and then Baylor went and got beat by a million to Oklahoma State. I, I just... I don't know. That that line really stinks. So I, I'm hoping this is a Vegas nose game and uh, the Sooners come out and, and embarrass Iowa State on, on national television and they can go back to being the uh, the rightful place in the world. But I, I, I agree with you. I, this game scares the hell out of me. I, I think Iowa State you know, not only not only covers, but they may win it outright. I was also very disappointed to see the with the cancellation of the bucket game with Indiana and Purdue. I was just so looking forward to a Friday afternoon in Piscataway for Nebraska. I mean, apropos the way that program is and the way it should end for Scott they Frost. They the time on that? They did. Now it's it's uh, 6.30 now. Before 3.30, 3.30 uh, kickoff, whatever it was. Yeah, I was right there with you. It, just, it was perfect. It was a perfect way to end their season. Alas, they get to at least move to primetime, and they'll kick that one at 6.30 uh, on BTN. Biz, let's finish up with this. Hey, kids. Gather around for business beat of the day. Okay, here's business beat of the day. Business beat of the day is actually a, a plug for another podcast. If you haven't listened to it yet, go out and listen to uh, Jay Bo's podcast interview with, with Jay Billis. I think it's called The Standpoint or, or whatever it is. It's Jay Bo and another college friend of his. That started a podcast a few months ago, but I had not listened to him until the Jay Billis interview. But it is a really interesting discussion between Jay Bo and Jay Billis. I'm not always the world's biggest Jay Billis fan mm-hmm. as an announcer. I think sometimes he's uh, comes across as an arrogant know-it-all that really likes to uh, talk about how smart he is. But I love how passionate he is for students uh, for athletes and he really makes some really good points about how absurd it is that they're not able to uh, profit off of you know their own their own likeness and go out and make some money so and, and Jaybo is obviously in that same that same corner so if, if you got 45 minutes go out and listen to it it's really interesting uh, interesting discussion and like I said Jay Billis you may not like him sometimes as an announcer but you have to love how uh, passionate he is for a for young people. Well, good stuff there. And uh, if you're looking for more Iowa basketball content, I saw that Luca Garza was on earlier this week uh, over with the guys at Field of 68, my buddy Rob Doster, who helped spearhead that uh, interview with him. I think he was talking to Robbie Hummel, the former Purdue player, but a couple of good stories, including getting heckled at Maryland. So this is the year. I'm a fan of Robbie Hummel, by the way. He's a good announcer. He is. He's a, he's a fun guy to watch. He, he would have been a great Hawkeye, but this is the year. If you're looking just for endless content, eat it up, Hawkeye fans. This is the time we're talking about unprecedented. And you're right. Until I see it, I, I got to stop the negativity. Hawks, Hawks all the way. Hawks are doing it all. 
I, I'm you. You've brought me to your side. You know it's difficult for me to do as a fan. I got to knock it off. I just need to enjoy this. Oh, season. Trent, this, this feels like you official kissing ass. Why? <laughs> well, why? All right. Well, let's hope we'll get back next week. Uh, we're talking about the, the newly the newly anointed number one Iowa men's basketball team. So go Hawks.